0: to Diversity Rocks Innovation, Volume 19, and the last one in our first season. We've left it at an awkward 19 on purpose, just to be sort of edgy. No, seriously. Uh, I'm so excited for all of the different amazing thought partners we have hosted this season. And I'm very grateful to be ending this season with a wonderful, wonderful friend. My name is Jackie Steele, I am a Canadian political scientist living and working in Japan, and of course the founder and CEO of Enjoy Diversity and Innovation. Enjoy is a Japan-based, global-facing business and we work in Japanese and in English to really support leaders, corporate leaders and organizational leaders in building out a diversity-positive workplace and workplace culture. We know and we believe that diversity truly rocks innovation, And we are interested in an inclusive form of innovation that amplifies and supports equality and that really powers our people systems for personal and collective good and for a sustainable long-term investment. This live stream is aiming to shine a spotlight at the beautiful diversity of collaborators who agree to thought partner out loud real time with me here live on the live stream just as two human beings showing up, no business cards, Uh, Minus any of the senpai kohai, how old are you, how long have you been in Japan, this, that, or the other hierarchies, or gender, or race, or any of that nationality-based issues that can really get in the way of just genuine human connection and expertise sharing and learning from each other. I am thrilled to welcome today my guest for a wonderful thought-partnering session, Manish Kalra. He is the founder of Atha Yoga and he is also um, offering some really exciting new support offerings to companies around wellness and holistic resilience through initiative called Mantan. And we're going to hear about that and I'm very excited to hear about that today. So please join me in welcoming a kindred spirit, fellow Canadian, uh, following the hockey game on ongoing at the moment. Let's go Habs, right? You <laughs> got the right team. <laughs> um, and uh, Manish, welcome to Diversity Rocks Innovation. Thank you for joining me today.
1: You got the right team and uh, you got the right person here. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jackie. It's so wonderful to be here. And uh, I just have to tell you, first of all, your diversity totally rocks because <laughs> Your, your opening credits. I love the music. I was getting into it. And then the, the poetry. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks. So, you know. And,
0: you know, fellow Canadian Wally Shaw out of Toronto, a wicked beautiful. poet uh, who I had such a fun time collaborating with to make that corporate philosophy video. Um, so shout out to Wally for that beautiful work of genius. And also to Takashi Morimoto, who is here in Tokyo, who is my videography for Enjoy. And he put together... This amazing combination of footage of the Tokyo scenes with Wally's slam poetry being recorded real time in Tokyo. So it was really creative. Thank you. Um, big shout outs to those two people for that wonderful project. And today, though, we're going to get into the deep dive uh, to find out more about Manish. And, um, you know, there's things that we know, and we can Google and find about you online. But mm-hmm. we really want to try and sort of deep dive a little bit more into the unknown sides of who you are and what your, your backstory is, um, all the different unique diversities that make you uh, your uniqueness, uh, your unique who I would say. And you know, I guess things that have become pillars in your core identities and your core values since you know, um, all, all these different many years. So to help us understand what you're doing now, can we go back um, to Canada Talk to us about maybe your upbringing. Uh, where did it all begin? And what did you identify? What would you identify as the kind of core elements of who y- understanding your who-ness? Sure.
1: Okay. Well, lo- lots to cover. I'll, I'll try to <laughs> nutshell it as we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to kind of cover all those elements you laid out there. Um, so, uh, well, where to begin? So, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in an Indian household um, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, Western Canada. So, I was born and raised in Canada. But, you know. Within the house, we had a good, uh, you know, a very good piece of tradition, a very good um, kind of connection to the old world, to the motherland.
2: Mm-hmm. So I
1: grew up, you know, kind of always in this, uh, you know, back in the you know 70s and 80s, there was always this kind of um, interesting, uh, you, you can call it a tension, you know, maybe a healthy tension, maybe at times... <laughs> the concerning tension, uh, between, you know, wanting to assimilate, be Western, um, you know, and at the mm-hmm. same time, kind of, you know, being instilled from a very young age with the, the roots of kind of Asian, called it Asian traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, uh, so educated, uh, there, uh, yeah, went to university, studied pharmacology in the, uh, did I skip through too much? I kind of skipped through a bunch, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did, uh, I studied pharmacology in the faculty of medicine um, as uh, an undergrad and was planning to go to med school and uh, kind of everything was, you know, all the pieces of the, you know, on the chessboard were, you know, in perfect alignment, were right spots for me to uh, to kind of move forward on this path that seemed so kind of in line with what a good Indian boy should do. And I had this moment. I think they scored. I have a feeling I, a feeling I know who scored. <laughs> All right, good, I get to watch another game in that sense, uh, in that respect. So um, so trying to contain my enthusiasm right now. So uh, so during my um, kind of, uh, so, so after the undergrad, I was looking at going into med school, med school, everything like I said was set up. I decided to take a year away. I had this kind of kick in the gut you know, people like to say epiphany, you know, these kind of experiences. For me, it was like a real kick in the gut. It's like I, I had this moment where it was like a voice said, um, should you do something just because you can? Just because the people around you or the world around you tells you it's the right thing to do. Is that the life you should follow? Um, and the, clear, the answer is very clear. No. That's not the reason. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but the reason should not be external. The reason has to come from somewhere inside. Now, I probably couldn't put this into words back then at the age of 22. Right. But, you know, over all the over the years and looking back, I understand what that feeling is feeling was now.
0: Can so I ask, um, can I ask you then? In. I mean, I want to pull a string around, you know, you were lined up to do what a good Indian boy should do. And I kind of want mm-hmm. to dig a little bit on that. I sure. mean, for those who are maybe less familiar of our listeners who are less familiar, what does it what, it, what are the elements that you saw as contributing to maybe the family values and the traditional values or the or the, or the you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of influences from your parents that helped shape this idea of what a good Indian boy should do and pursue in life. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that? Absolutely. That's kind Absolutely. of interesting to hear. Yeah, I about. think
1: if you, yeah, if you grew up as a second generation, um, and not just Indian and other, uh, you know, kind of Asian and probably other households as well, uh, you know, I'll only speak from from my direct experience, but, you know, lots of similar background friends, a similar background being second generation of, a, you know, maybe some Asian descent. Um, you know, if you grew up in, in North America, You would kind of uh, you generally have a similar a similar type of experience where uh, you know we we often say that the good Indian boy this was you know, goes into engineering or goes becomes a doctor, right? Those are kind of the two major pursuits. As education a respectable,
0: respectable, respectable high-achieving uh, status, secure, education-driven.
1: Secure, jobs, you know, uh, with, you know, contributing to the world. And, you know, you'll always have a decent paycheck and you'll be able to get... You can
0: provide uh, for your parents in you know, old provide, age. Provide <laughs> for and your parents
1: and, and also, you know, and also very important for Asian households, especially, you know, to be able to be to be marriageable, you know, um, so that, uh, but these are all, these are all very important factors that, you know, interestingly enough, even though in, you know, my family and my mother's in particular is very, um, you know, had a very strong kind of, uh, religious and kind of faith, kind of faith element to her. She was not attached to those ideas. I mean, she understood those ideas and she, you know, if that was good for me, then go for it but it, so it wasn't even directly parents. I would say it was, it would be the entire environment, which means, you know, not just, you know, family and friends, but the entire kind of Indo or, you know, in this Indian subcontinent community that's in, uh, that's in Edmonton. And also the media that we watched anytime we went back to India to visit, you would, you would, you would feel these vibrations, at least in the, in the types of, uh, in the type of environment that I, that I was in. And many of my friends were. So, it, and some of it was direct and some of it was subtle. You know, you just see that those people who were following those lives were looked at in a different way.
0: Do you know what I mean? They were respected and admired. They were respected having, and admired.
1: They looked secure. Their family looked like they were doing, having the right life.
2: Right, and, right, right. Uh, so
1: that was all, you know, programmed. Like, and, and like for everyone, we've all been programmed right? Yeah. We'll get to why this is so important later. But, you know, we've all been conditioned, we've all been programmed, you know, kind of insidiously. And, and no matter what your background, no matter where you grew up, right? We've all been, we've all been socialized and in a certain way. I,
0: I really like that you named it also as a, as a young Indian boy, because I think we often forget the fact that, like, boys and, and young men are absolutely being gendered, into this masculinity box, and and one of our guests in the past, Shumatsu so Post, would absolutely talk. You know, his whole interview was about that. But how you know men are really you know socialized also into what is the acceptable man box that you're supposed to fit into, and then you add on to that, you know, the racialization point or the you know ethnocultural background and being second generation immigrant to Canada, um, and that layers another you know layer of what does it mean to be a good son. Uh, who can provide, right, for not only eventually being marriage quality to produce children and grandchildren, but also then to look after older age children. So all of these, right, these socializations that we put on men into fitting into the right man box of success that is not necessarily, as you rightly observe, intrinsically motivated from an internal intrinsic motivation as, as Casey Wall would talk about in his interview. Um, it's an external, it's so much external socialization is you should want this. This is success. We want this for you. You should also want it. And it's being constantly projected onto us to say, if you stray from that path, there might be judgment. <laughs> there might be non-acceptance. There might be right. And all of these kind of indirect warning, you know, shots across the bow about what, what are you, what are you letting go of if you don't walk this path of what we all hope for you. And I think that's, really important thing to contextualize, you know, and how courageous your journey is, so has been and, and still is. And so talk to us then more about this gut reaction led to you saying, I'm realizing that it's not intrinsic, you know, it's not my intrinsic motivation speaking about this this path.
1: Yeah, I would say I realized that I didn't know the answer to the question. <clears throat> I didn't, I, so in other words, uh, if I'm not sh- sure that this is something I want to do that I, that I should be doing for my uh, some some other reasons that I'm really um, that that really kind of uh, I can't even think of the English word anymore. I speak too much Japanese these days. You
0: can say in Japanese and I'll translate.
1: Yeah, actually, maybe that maybe that'll be quicker. No, you know, uh, and, and some uh, kind of a, a if I really if I really believe in that right? I need to have a real, a real strong belief. I really connect with that idea. Then it's fine. Um, But if not, um, before I decide to spend the next four to six to seven to eight years in school and residency, and then Mm -hmm. pursue a life of a doctor, you have to know you want the rest of my life, you know, it's not like you can just jump around. It wasn't like I was going to do, you know, six months of a, you know, you know, a, a craft or something that I could always just switch and do something else, you know? Not to say that crafts don't take a long time, so but um, you know it's not something that I could just switch in and out of very easily, right? So, so in order to commit that to that level, I wanted to uh, explore this idea of what are the eyes that I'm seeing the world with? What, uh, what are these eyes? You know, which, what eyes am I seeing the world through? um, Am I seeing the eyes with? And in order to do that, I had I I felt really strongly uh, or it came to me that I need to get out of my, my, uh, environment, my conditioning in order to see myself better. That's you get, so you know, you got to get out of that situation. So I looked at opportunities. I said, okay, look, I'll give myself a year, you know, the year off type of thing. I'll give myself a year. I had a, I had a seat at in right. university at med school so I could always go and then come back. You know, everything's all set. Nothing to worry about. No one has to cry. No one has to worry. You know, I can still have a decent life. Um, <laughs> Follow the path if necessary, and uh, and so I, um, I looked for opportunities to go to abroad, and I and I, I realized I needed to go to a culture, where I didn't a culture I didn't know a country. I felt I need to go to a country where I had no clue what the environment was, that I didn't understand the language even because language obviously is intrinsically linked to culture, right? And so somehow again, I probably didn't realize it to that extent what that all meant back then, but but now looking back, I do. And so I looked at opportunities around the world, and it just so happened, I won't go through the whole story because it'll take forever, but it just so happened, you know, I had a friend who had done the JET program, uh, the Mombus Show Ministry of Education's JET program, which many of your viewers may be familiar with if they're, especially if they're based in Japan. And so, um, so I came, came out for a year, um, came to Osaka, and uh, life changed considerably.
0: Talk to me about that. Crash course, first arrival. And then did you realize that, okay, one year isn't enough and, and exactly. you really were going to stray from the path?
1: I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to stray from the path. What I would say was that one year away just it completely opened my eyes to different ways of seeing things, different ways of thinking. I know it's totally cliche. Right. But if you've experienced it, if you've actually put yourself, have, have had the chance to put yourself or to be in a situation where you're so far out of what is the norm for you or for the first, you know, couple decades of your life, you, you will probably have had a similar type of, you know, experience and, and some epiphanies along the way. And I realized that uh, it was just beginning. A year was just starting to reshape my eyes to see things in different ways to see what I was very clearly black and white. Um, now to start to see shades of gray, right? Um, and I, I'm, there's probably billions of examples if you want to get into, but, but, it, you know, to put it, to put it really simply, you start to see that there are different ways of looking at life, uh, how to raise children, how to, um, or, or to, if to have children, you know, how to live and what type of, you know, apartment dwelling versus house you know i mean from the simplest and maybe mundane how to eat things to you know how to relate to people um how to you know how to work um relationships and all you know uh, work relationships personal relationships you name it so there was a real kind of a growing um in that year that i realized I, I could not let this stop you know i needed to do at least i needed more time so that became one year two years three years on jet you, know, gave up your seat. you gave in. up
0: your seat in medical school. And how did the so fallout around that? And, and, zero, zero, was there? zero,
1: zero fallout, in, you know, from, from family directly. I think, you know, uh, I think my parents, luckily, uh, you know, my parents kind of believed that I have some sort of you know,
0: <laughs> judgment. <laughs> yeah
1: and also you know what well, even if they, no one can stop me anyway so really you know you might as well go along with it, you know i'm not going to listen anyways but no i think uh, in all seriousness you know i think partly because my mother's faith in that kind of the things will will work out you know they, they, there's a reason why he's feeling these things and even though part of her i'm sure half of her you know was was tearing at her because of because she's also socialized and conditioned just like all of us right and and half of her was saying good go for it go for it you know good for you you know, let's let's see where this where, where you need to go. Find you know find your path.
0: And so, and did so, you have a fairly? I mean, sometimes you hear in in certain of the first generation Indo-Canadian families that they're still very much a top-down family structure where father does know best and is kind of the authoritarian rule enforcer and decider for all of the children particularly the sons Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah that was not your experience you had a a very different dynamic at home it sounds like
1: i had a very different dynamic i think one big reason is my father immigrated to canada when he was probably only 21 or so so he was quite Um, a young man when he came to Canada, he was really interested in kind of you know assimilating. Uh, obviously, you know, because his background was very different. He grew up, um, you know, seeing partition in India, which uh, I don't know if you know much about Indian history, but um, you know, so there was a very brutal, uh, wow. brutal time in India. We won't get into those details, but you know, he was a young boy, and if you had a chance to speak with anyone from a generation that has lived through kind of warlike, um, extreme, you know, w- warlike situation uh, or partition in this case. Um, you know, there's a very different, I mean, there's no way I could even really begin to kind of understand it, Um, but give um,
0: perspective on what really matters though. Yeah. And
1: I, and I also think it also, you know, there's this incredible desire to escape that as well, right. To never have to be in that again, Uh, you know, especially if you, if it's yet you're young enough and it's traumatizing enough. So, um, so I don't really know, you know, kind of all the answers to, you know, why, why these things, why life is kind of, turned the way it did but I can t- what I can tell you was that uh, he was definitely more westernized and he really wanted to mm. assimilate he was very so he was kind of the westernizing kind of force besides being in Canada and my mother was kind of the kind of um, you know uh, keeping the tradition you know more for keeping the tradition and there was you know I think in some ways some sort of healthy balance potentially right. um, but I think what that meant for me was I became quite independent very early I didn't have to follow some, you know, I was very, I, you know, I started working very early, um, you know, and um, started really being independent, traveling alone at the age of, you know, in my early teens. So um, so I think that gave me a lot of confidence to, you know, just, you know, it was like, I was going to do what I was going to do kind of thing. And, you know, and I wouldn't be offending anyone by doing that either. You know, I wouldn't feel like I'm hurting them or offending them. So, So I think that's what propelled me to kind of, choose this and to just go for it without kind of no holds bar
0: and I think I mean certainly from different guests that have been on the show and and what Mm -hmm. sort of resonates is how important our parents are in creating what I think to be and what we would maybe now and back in the day we would never call it this but now in retrospect um, I think we would want to speak about it as really creating a psychological safety in the home where you do have trust with your children and you do trust their judgment and you do want them to be empowered and self-determining and be able to have the, the right and the choice to make good choices for themselves, sometimes make bad choices and then live with those consequences, but that there's a, an unconditional love and psychological safety, at least within the private immediate family that can be a fairly important buffer against all of the negative toxic socialization being pushed on us in the outside world or, or even from extended family and relatives and the broader extended family relative culture, uh, if you are an immigrant descent dynamic, um, but also from, you know, Canadian society as we're growing up and there's pressures there, that relationship between parent and child and certainly I feel that, you know, that sort of very strong ethical responsibility, you know, as a mother to say, how do we make sure that, you know, I'm building that consciously and that our family, you know, we're building that for our children because that's gonna be the core of their self-esteem to know to trust themselves, right? So that they can follow those gut, you know, know, signs that will pop up to say, you know, don't just be a people pleaser and follow what everybody else is asking you to to do to fit into the model, but like be your own individuality and be okay with what that looks like, right? So really, really exciting.
1: yeah, no, I think that's, you know, cl- clearly that's really important. I, I to be honest, I don't think back back then, especially at the age that, you know, most parents, at least, you know, young, young parents were immigrating. I, you know, I don't think they had the the kind of extra yo you the extra space to be able to even no. think about those things. No. I think it was really just about making it, you know, kind of dealing with this new environment. So I think, you know, for them to even you know not consciously at least there's no way you know it could be about unconsciously i think of course you know how do we create a loving environment you know a secure environment and all these kind of things but they're they were dealing with just you know being in this new land where you know when when they came when my mother came to edmonton there was very very few indians you know so uh and and she had never lived abroad you know until that point because in the day that was not so common right so so i think you know they're also dealing with all their socialization they're also, you know, uh, they don't have the manual on how to do this and, uh, any of it uh, clearly. Right. But they, but they're, so they're kind of going through the, their process. Um, so I, you know, I, I totally agree that parents course have played an incredible role. Maybe part of it is just watching them go through their own hmm. work on all this stuff that yeah. allowed, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Cause I, can't really remember back then to that degree, <laughs> you know, because you are so busy kind of, you know, looking at the world through your eyes and trying to grow up and try to deal with your stuff. You probably didn't have as much chance to see, you know, people around you. Um, but, but I, the times I do remember, there was definitely, you know, you, I, I recall kind of, there was, you know, g- growth and tension and how to deal with this kind of pull from East and West pull, you know, and familial pulls. And, and, and you talked about pull. it maybe? Yeah, I think to some degree, but sometimes even sometimes it was the not talking about it that also gave me lots of clues,
0: okay. you
1: know, and that made made me think and then, uh, you know, and, and I have a younger sister who was great about talk. she's she is still as great about talking about things. So she, you know, she would flip things. And I think it's it's, you know, it's hard to understand how that whole dynamic, you know, affected. Um, this this interest of mine and kind of ability to be able to have confidence to go to do these things.
0: And but, in some uh, ways, they're probably navigating, I mean, they would have been perhaps navigating the pressures up back in the day with so few numbers of, um, you know, Indo-Canadians in the community in Edmonton. They're in this dynamic of feeling pressure to be the model minority, right? They're, they're, they're a visible minority. They're standing out from Canadian society in the way that you and I stand out all the time in Japan. Right. And I think there's, I certainly feel a pressure that I need to be in some ways a model minority, a model foreigner here so that we have a good reputation for Canadians and for, you know, whatever that represents, that we can show respect to Japanese society and blend in and learn Japanese and and adapt, you know, that we're showing we do adapt and we don't just assume that everything should adapt to us, right? And we get those pressures and, and surely they felt those pressures, plus obviously there's there's still racism happening in Canada then, uh, you know, and, and there's those pressures facing them. So as you mentioned, I mean, like, but, like all that they were juggling with and dealing with real time. Um, I'm always amazed at our parents' generation, how in some ways it was very laid, feels more laid back then for parenting than it is now. Yeah, I think so. um, And now there's so much more pressure put on because we're consciously mindful about, you need to do this and we need to build this in our home and we need to, the research shows this for children's development. And there's like all these different things now that to be a successful parent, not like scarring your children for life, you need to sort of be careful of. And then you're also dealing with it as an immigrant, like as we are immigrants in Japan, also reeling with how do we protect our children from not only what we deal with as immigrants, but then how they receive impacts as immigrant children right um and that's just
1: an, another whole ongoing that, issue that ties. that might be a, that might be a sign of you know kind of how the world you know the the evolution is is things are going maybe i don't know in the right direction if there's if there are more conversation around stuff that either were ignored back then right you know or, or people just didn't have the wherewithal they were just trying to make it day to day you know get by figure out how to deal with the community you know their issues with kind of assimilating and not assimilating? Where's that healthy balance?
0: That you healthy? know, you,
1: you shouldn't be assimilating, should you be assimilating com- completely so that mm-hmm. you've, you know, completely diluted that? And I have this conversation about, you know, uh, in Japan as well with friends, it's like, yeah, we wanna, we don't wanna, I don't think it's necessarily healthy for us to turn Japanese, to mm-hmm. quote the Vapors. Uh, I think that was the name of the band, um, uh, to, to, you know, but at the same time, you know, how can we uh, help how can we, you know, like I said, make sure things run smoothly, we don't, you know, offend, um, and at the same time allow our kind of uniqueness and creativity and diversity um, to, to add to what's happening in, in this part of the world?
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, they
1: struggled that, but they had so many other things that they probably couldn't spend the time having this kind of conversation.
0: Yeah, there was no live stream back then.
1: I don't think so, but yeah, there was no live stream.
0: Right, right. And so you did, you did, you ultimately did three full years on the JET program and then yeah. chose to do what? After that, obviously, so, you okay. decided not to do the medical track, but you did something well, else. Interesting.
1: So, to, so I actually, what I did was I, after the three years, I, I had to re reinterview for med school. So I actually went back. I actually went back for a bit. I re-interviewed, I, went, I re-interviewed for med school uh, to get the seat again, right? And during that, it was so clear again the gut said what what are you doing here i mean this is you know you are this is not this is not what you're supposed to be doing there's something else out there that you got to figure out you got to you know this isn't right not that not nothing wrong with it maybe i could have done it and maybe i could have done it well but it's not it wasn't calling it wasn't calling and in fact i think i'd grown to a certain degree where i'd really realized it much more than the three years prior that there was something else to be had something else to do i came back to japan Because I, you know, through my through the work I'd done those three years, I'd made some contacts. I I came back on a similar program to Jet directly with the Osaka Board of Education, and also at the same time I started helping some businesses um, just because I'd started to have you know a little bit of language ability, so I was able to converse in Japanese and help with English things, and so I started helping a couple of uh, import export businesses, and uh, and these things these experiences to to kind of again kind of put into nutshell these experiences made me realize that i do want further studies but it wasn't the it wasn't med school it was going back and trying to encapsulate kind of what my experiences over the last at this point to be five years what these experiences why this actually made me a more um interesting a more holistic a more diverse a more kind of aware and in many ways more able uh, candidate for any type of job regardless of the industry for you know for a company working globally particularly um, and so i went back and did an mba decided to do an mba and pursued that uh, so i was doing my mba in western canada at richard ivy school of business and i was also working in new york um kind of parallelly or, or not exactly simultaneously but during during those two years of back then it was a two-year mba uh, so yeah so uh
0: and that's so not Eastern a bad Canada. choice, not a bad choice for an Indian boy. It's still <laughs> not business, so bad. Right? It's still not so bad. It's still not so bad. And it allows you to really leverage in different ways, perhaps, your Japanese language skills, if you decided you wanted to go back, which I think you did, right? So um, exactly. 47 interviews later.
1: So, yeah. So so what happened was after um, so in the second year of, uh, of uh, the, the program, you end up, Know, kind of there's campus recruiting or you know you start to look at what you want to do afterwards and so uh, I happened to meet um, Goldman Sachs uh, from different Asian offices I think one was from Hong Kong and, and the, actually it was the whole Asia team they'd come out so Tokyo hiring for Tokyo for Hong Kong um, I'd also parallel met with different other banks and consulting firms because those were the two jobs to be in uh, maybe they still are I don't know I don't follow that so much anymore given my new lifestyle but um, so I uh, so I met with a bunch of companies on and off campus while in New York and also in just outside of Toronto, uh, and uh, and you know Goldman really the the way they they talked uh, it, it really it felt like they really understood at least the people I met this kind of package that I, that that you know not that I'd really put together on by design but kind of w- where I had ended up you know given my kind of a variety of experiences growing up undergrad living in Osaka, working in these types of environments. Um, and so, uh, and, and getting the MBA and working in the U S. So, so I got an opportunity to, to kind of really further, uh, look at working with goman and we, uh, yeah, 30, 37 interviews later, I think I counted, uh, we decided on which position and which office and all that, you know, together. And uh, that ended up being Tokyo. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that was with, um, do you want to jump in? We'll let you jump in yeah, for a second. Well, you know,
0: you had your, you know, Hats Tokyo, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yes. you Kansai and now the diversity Kansai Kanto. Now it's like, did you speak with Osaka Ben and like, did I you get laughed totally at? totally did.
1: Totally did. And no, <laughs> people loved it. They loved it. And in fact, what I found out was so, a number of people in the, the banking or investment banking world were, uh, none of the Japanese were actually, you know, from Osaka now in Tokyo. So they would love to, you know, yeah, that gave me a, in some ways an edge, you know, at least in terms of insider. having fun with some of these people. I was an yes. insider, you know. Uh, yeah, I was lucky because because I'd had the earlier experiences in Osaka, both linguistically and kind of culturally, call it Kansai culturally, the it was so much easier to get things done, you know, because uh, I had an ear uh, from people and because I didn't have to just use Japanese or use a translator, um, I was able to get, you know, a lot more things done and maybe, or at least have a lot more fun getting them done. So,
0: awesome. Uh, Why did you shift after three years in Tokyo to Hong Kong? Like, where, where was this inkling? Did you feel like you yeah. needed to get new eyes again?
1: You got it. I think there's, uh, you know, I've always felt that there's this kind of three or four year, you know, maybe four or five years, but, you know, it's kind of like you go to, to junior high school, three years, high school, three years, for those of us in Western Canada, at least, uh, oh, and then yeah. you go, right, uh, for the, and then, you know, universities kind of like four years, and then you may do a master's PhD, two to three to four years, something like that, depending on your program. There's something in that rhythm that really kind of felt right to me to uh to at least some sort of kind of inspiration or some sort of change, whether it's environmental or what you're studying or what you're working on. Um, And it could be within the same firm, of course, it could be within, you know, it might just be, you know, we need some little bit new uh, kind of energy, excitement and inspiration. So uh, I had actually, I I didn't kind of mention this earlier, but you know, I had known from day one that I was not gonna be the Goldman Sachs banker for the rest of my life. This, This was not my, call, not necessarily a calling That's why I was doing it. It was more of, I understood that there was something in this experience I needed. I couldn't quite place it what it was. And part of it was being in a professional organization like like Goldman. Uh, Part of it was also having some financial stability, of course, to be able to think about other things. Um, And part of it was I wanted to live in Tokyo as well, so to get that experience to work professionally in Tokyo. But I knew it wasn't a long-term thing. And kind of coming close to the three years, I felt like I had gained enough experience. I'd learned to, to talk the talk, walk the walk of, of that field. And, uh, and it was you know, getting time for me to figure out how to spend my you know, whatever time I had left on this world. How do I spend it? You can see just by, just by having those kind of thoughts, you can see why you know, I do what I do now. Um, how do I spend this limited time that I have? Do, is this where I really want to do it? And I really had a strong desire to work close with the homeland, motherland, India, and also China. I had been a few times and I just, this, this, the Silk Road, the idea of the Silk Road, you know, from India through China and to, to, to Japan, I really feel a very strong connection. And I can see as you go back down, you reverse down that road, you feel, you know, you're getting closer, closer to, you know, for me, is a kind of call it home. Right. There's there's something in there, obviously, far beyond what I can put into words, but I grew up with it. It's you know, it's in my it's in my genes. It's in my it's in my bones. I can feel it. And so I wanted to work closer with India and China. So I was looking at opportunities to do that and uh, having that conversation with with my um, with my uh, bosses in, in Japan and internationally, uh, we decided, hey, go to Hong Kong a little better, kind of a little more responsibility. So I got to run a department there and my two first big projects were India and China, you know? So it's like, oh, okay, this gets me closer to something. You know, it's it's the next step. It's the next kind of stepping stone onto wherever else I'm going, which I have no clue where that is. So that got me to Hong Kong because Hong Kong for Goldman Hong Kong is at that time what looked after the new the new projects in India and China, you know?
0: And you spent about a year and then at some point you decided if this is as good as it gets, this is not enough. Or what happened? What was, what was the next sort of inkling? I think
1: You know, it's, it's, I took that step and it was the right It felt like the right step and everything, nothing, there was nothing wrong. And I didn't leave for, you know, you know, upset at the way or working too, you know, too hard and, you know, uh, overheating type of thing, you know, I wasn't burning out, but um it just felt, yeah, I, I'd gotten kind of the next kind of stuff, whatever I needed to get. Mm-hmm. And, and now the next stepping stone was starting to appear. Um, you know, my life was really transforming um, all these years kind of from before. I'd been uh, practicing yoga. And I'd played sports for all my life, but kind of that started moving into more yoga. And the mm-hmm. physical aspect started to kind of move or kind of morph with the my upbringing, which was very much kind of philosophical at home, you know. It was all around the philosophies mm-hmm. of yoga and and Hinduism. So, but to kind of to e- to uh, extract the the religious part out of it within mm-hmm. the yoga philosophy, kind of how to live, uh, what's important in life, you know, things like purpose, things like dharma, our duty mm-hmm. in life, or how we're supposed to live. Uh, ideas like karma, right? Uh, how actions, you know, and consequences um, affect. Uh, where we are today and how our actions today will affect consequences tomorrow. Um, these things uh, and the idea of practice of practice meaning a, a devotion to a you know a specific practice, whether it's Aikido or kendo or
0: yeah. chado,
1: right? Ikebana or tea ceremony or whatever. Or, it diversity.
0: Is. or diversity. Or uh, diversity. Whatever, whatever
1: it is your practice. Whatever <laughs> absolutely. And it can be. And, you know, in fact, you know, you can you know, anything can be a practice potentially. So yeah. so that was the practice that I Mm. wanted to devote more time to. I I came to the point where I needed to devote more time. And so the next step was to figure out how to do that. And um, Mm. so that's what led to the next
0: chapter. And it it almost almost feels like you are going home to your mother's culture, like your mother's philosophy, very much in terms of the upbringing, but going back deeper into where her her roots were coming perhaps from that you'd grown up in the family and felt like home, but didn't have the deeper experience of directly. That was mediated through her upbringing, right? Of you. Um, So in your choices, then uh, you, you went to India and can you tell us about that experience? Um, And we, I would love for us to bring that into what you've been doing through Atha yoga, how that paid forward, your pivot, And then now, of course, we'll also then connect that forward to the COVID implications of that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. So, yeah. So, um, again to, from uh, after, after Goldman and after a short little, uh, little bit of work consulting, I did, I went to India and I spent a year and, and the reason I went to India was partly just to get back into the roots, to be in that environment and partly to study with specific teachers. I wanted to study yoga with some specific teachers, um, Sanskrit are kind of the ancient language the you know, the root behind uh, my mother tongue, which is actually Hindi um, and Punjabi, but, um, uh, and also to look at, uh, because I was still fascinated by medicine, I wanted to study more Ayurveda and which it's intimately linked to yoga and lifestyle right care and lifestyle holistic care so in order to do that nothing like you know being in you know in the homeland in the motherland of all that so I went to India went to South India and uh and stayed you know, I didn't know how long it wasn't a plan I'm going to be here a year and then I'm going to do this like the rest of what seems my life since undergrad you know I went there planned to go for a couple of months and then somehow that kind of became more and more and more and that became longer and longer and ended up being a year and then i had an opportunity to come back to to set up a business in japan Uh, and that would bring me back to japan as well and uh, i was debating whether to stay in india or you know what to do but uh, japan called me back and sometimes we don't know why especially those of us who've been here more than a decade or two
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) know? i know even if you go away
1: you get called back
0: I, yeah. I I sometimes refer to Japan as the hotel California you can check out anytime you like but you can never leave but you can never leave <laughs> you're you like leave. something keeps bringing you back right And yeah. your heart or your you know the relationships or everything all of it right you just there's yeah. just kind of a deep connectedness go in that never is interrupted yes. i feel like um so that's, that's the way i think about it but i think it's 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 in a positive light that i see it that way certainly yeah. so the business you set up was it therefore I it was actually i it was, action, uh, no, it. It was
1: actually ayurveda based i was an ayurvedic skincare based business where we would okay. use kind of skincare and products to also explain how to live a kind of healthy radiant beautiful lifestyle okay and okay. so yoga would be you know one aspect of it but we'd also have a product um okay. and so we set that up and it's actually still going you know uh, just a small business and we do mainly work in japan a little bit overseas but um but kind of after the setup phase you know I, because of my science background and because of Kind of my interest in that in then in, in, in East and West or medicine, um, my, my main role was to kind of get it going, figure out the products, work with scientists around the world, work with doctors in, in India, and so mm. you know I spent a few a number of years actually researching and then uh, and then coming up with a product. You know working with a formula, working on the designs and all that kind of stuff with mm. people. So it was another kind of step. It was like how I, you know learning a lot of that was new for me. Clear, sure. right so um and so learn that and through the setup of you know how to set up a business and how it is drawing upon what i learned that you know a massive company such as goldman in this very small way you know with a very different number uh, number of zeros at the uh, after the one you know uh it's it's you know it's a different game obviously but many of the concepts applied clearly right mm-hmm. and so so that's how these different pieces of my life before undergrad pharmacology right. you know mba uh, where we studied branding and promotion and things like that. Of course, um, right. Goldman Sachs financial um, kind of understanding that all came into play and helped to set up that business. But meanwhile, I was starting to teach a bit more uh, teach yoga, and uh, I'd already started teaching before that, but there was more need to formalize it. So I started to teach at collaborating with yoga studios, and uh, and then at a certain point, it was like uh, it, it had it took on more of it. There was more demand. You know, I needed mm-hmm. to do this more for some reason. It just made felt right. And uh, and if people wanted it, then, you know, and if it felt right, then why not do it? And so that started to take over my life uh, and it take over my life. That took, took on uh, more more shape, you know, a, a different shape. It's
0: like you were and honing I, your craft. This is you honing your totally. craft as, an, as a teacher, holistic teacher totally. almost yeah. too, right? And then... Right. Positions you and and your holistic, you you do retreats as well that are wellness and mindfulness that are more, not just the physical side, but bringing in all of the elements that that you, of the expertise you combine in that interdisciplinary approach, right? To what does wellness look like? Uh, And certainly, I mean, what a wonderful gift then for COVID Japan. For you to then have this opportunity to to offer mantan right which is the new focus on this broader really broader picture big picture view of wellness and resilience and as someone who researched resilience on leadership in post-disaster tohoku you know during a crisis what we do pre-crisis is going to be completely indicative of how we navigate and can adapt and have agility and resilience post Crisis. And so building these practices and habits of wellness. Mm-hmm. So so essential, right? So talk to me about mantan and and yeah. please maybe can you tell me what mantan means? Yeah. Is there like a symbolism sure. around that, yes. word? that
1: word? Yes, yes. So mantan is it's it means churning. There's a there's a story in ancient mythology of the churning of the ocean. Um oh. it's called so samudra so samudra mantan. And it's it's the churning of the ocean story where basically. It's um, an allegory, or, or actually a metaphor, I'd say, for, for how, in order to um, kind of really find out who you are and what we call find the elixir uh, of immortality called amrita. Wow. What that means is how to, how to find truth, how to find real truth in your life, who, is, who, who you are, what, how you want to be spending your time.
0: The essence that will surpass this physical world.
1: And, and also in more practical terms, how, how you want to live your life right now, now. right? Am I, am I saying the things that I really feel? Am I acting in the way I really want to act? Or am I doing it because I want something from someone? Or I think everybody wants me to be this way. Am I fulfilling mm. a role? Am I feeling identity? Am I being a man? Am I being a,
0: right.
1: you know, a teacher? Am I being a leader? Which boxes are we ticking? Am I tr- Am I trying to fulfill my fire, am I trying to take check off these boxes, or am I being true to myself. Right. So it's really practical too. it's not just kind of esoteric and so which is really important because that's why it, it impacts us every day and impacts how we work, how we play, how we interact with everybody in our lives and our lives. So um, so manthan is the story where basically by going in, the only way to find that, and this is important, the only way to find that is by going in, by kind of mm-hmm. going into yourself. And when you do that, a lot of stuff comes out, a lot of bad stuff comes out if you really mm-hmm. face yourself. So, you know, a lot of clinical psychologists will, you know, may may, may agree with that concept, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, but in the end, invariably, if you work at it, if you work at it, if you constantly stop putting your antennas outside and coming inside,
0: right,
1: right drawing, then you'll start to get... You'll get closer to this truth. And so this truth is partly what we want to share. These practices, like you said, when stressful times, month and what the ideas from month and is we want to start building that ability to physically, you know, and mentally be able to take handle whatever comes your way. Right. And also, in the meanwhile, you enjoy life more because you're you're more present. And again, another cliche to be present, but it actually is something. You know, right now, Jackie is present with me. I can feel that, right? I don't see you going off. Oh my God, I got to pick up bread afterwards. You know, you know, <laughs> you, know there, and, and, you know, and I'm not even thinking about the next hockey game. So there you go. I'm actually here. <laughs> I, I suddenly thought about it clearly. And that's but, why I
0: chose this live stream thought partnering out loud because I wanted right. it to be in the moment, like yeah. real time, yeah. you know? There's no people. editing.
1: There's no editing. There's no, no going editing. back and there's photoshopping,
0: no, there's no filtering. Like, we are what we are we show up in all of our beauty and all of our you know ugliness and all of our errors and all of our you know idiosyncrasies and craziness and that's okay right that's okay
1: and in order and so and so what mantan does was it does is in order to help people achieve this or to start to move closer to this uh, at the very least the first thing we need to have kind of physical freedom from pain Mm. Um, and so we you know we start with very simple things like building the right posture sitting properly Mm. because if you sit properly you're gonna breathe properly if you breathe properly guess what you're gonna feel better right your immunity goes up your immunity increases you sleep better Right? You digest, you eat better, you digest better because your Mm. organs are not being crunched by you sitting in a really funny position, which is we were not built for. We were not built to sit on chairs. We were not built to work in front of these computers or else they would have been there for for 10 hours a
0: day. Yeah, no. Yeah,
1: you know, to to punch like our fingers, like, you know, on these little phones and look at screens this big and look at that kind of backlighting. We weren't built that way, but this is our lives now. So how do we best deal with it, right? Mm. If we can take better physical care, and then if we can start to get into breathing and into kind of better mental care, you know, mental care, meaning just developing um, a, a resilience, which is really being kind of here um, and being, um, you know, we call it in Japanese, right? A kind of core, a core strength yeah. that, and, you know, that you're not able to get pulled off of too easily.
0: And, and if a core strength that's like yes. a kokoro, like, right? It's the, the mind. We talk about the mind often in yeah. English, but what I really yeah. love about the Japanese language is we center it back in the kokoro and yes. the kokoro no kea, right? Like it, heart care, heartfulness or heart, heart care. And,
1: and yeah, um, and, 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 and when we translate it from Sanskrit, mind actually is not brain. It's actually, you know, right. there's, there's, and there's different components of when we say mind as well. So, you know, what I'm talking about now is that kind of more esoteric mind. It's not the thinking brain. Right. right. The thinking brain is actually what we start to look at and we start right. to calm it down. And that's when we get into meditation and mindfulness and all these practices. Um, and, you know, there's, there's tons of data, tons of research. Harvard yeah. researchers have tons of great you know, functional MRIs of the amygdala region in the brain and how it changes after just eight weeks of a little bit of meditation. It, but the point is, you know, you can look at all that research, but the point is by doing these things, it gets you somewhere. It makes right. you stronger physically. You feel better. You're more energized. Get what, guess what? You can do more work, right? You can deal with people better. You don't get angry as easily. You can right. put up with stuff more easily. You can see the good in people instead of always you looking have, at, you know, the negative.
2: Yeah.
0: You have that. yo you. I don't know how to translate You have yo you.
1: You have, you have space, like kind of a, space, a kind
0: flexibility of, you know, or. Yeah. Extra yeah. bandwidth. You'll use a great you word. Say. it's you a great bandwidth. word. You
2: have Ban- bandwidth. extra
0: bandwidth and extra patience too. I think patience is such a huge totally. part of yo-yo, because particularly when you're raising children, it's it's the yeah. patience yeah. you know uh, barometer that we really need to keep high if we're trying to be able to balance pressures of work, but also against a home life that's peaceful and supportive, right? And, that, and that's a challenge, right? That's such a challenge. When, when May- parents have their yo-yo go down, it just comes out and, hurts, you know, ends up hitting, you know, the kids in some ways, I think.
1: Anyone, anyone. If your neighbor's yo-yo is down, they're going to yell at you for something. <laughs> you know, you're like, what? I just left that out for two seconds, you know. And there, there's, you know, thousands of examples. When you look yeah. at an email from someone and you haven't read it yet, and you go, oh, my God, uh, I don't want to read that email. It, there's, because you're, you're already you're already projecting something and also you just don't have the yo-yo, that space, that flexibility to say, wait, I'm cool. It's all right. Let me check it out. It's,
0: okay. it's all right.
1: And Life ain't there, so bad.
0: There is a really cute play on words, though, in Japanese if with the whole mantan because, you know, when you fill up your yes. tank of gas, you totally. say mantan. Yes. <laughs> mantan. <laughs> mantan,
1: mantan kudasai, <laughs> and you
0: fill so. up your tank. So it's kind of like, that's gorgeous.
1: Well and, done. And whenever I do... Whenever I do a lecture or, you know, an explanation about meditation a webinar, you know, um, I always, I don't just talk about it. I, I get people to take like three deep breaths, for example, you know, and I get them to do just a very simple practice that takes less than a minute. And that alone, you go, oh, my God, I'm energized. You know, we always say if something's wrong. If you're stressed out, what do you do? You just did it. You take a deep breath all right, you know, I got to look at the time. I got to make sure everything's running well, you know? And so I take a deep breath and I go, wait a sec. Here I am right here, right now. Let's deal with it. Let's go. You know, to, we, need, we need to make that a really. We need to make that a default habit. Not a something that I once in a while remember if I'm lucky or when someone reminds me.
0: And a friend of mine, Sarah Ball, who I'll give a shout out to, I believe is the one who was saying how, you know, how do we get to the point of not and particularly, this was you know in a, a group uh, I'm in for coaching, and it was about too often I think women get to the point where our 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 tank is at like zero, and we're coasting yeah. on fumes yeah. before we carve out space to do self-care, because there's just fifty thousand demands and emotional needs, and you know things being placed on particularly women and mothers and you know spouses, you know wives, and all of that, and that just overload if we as women can be leaders in our own self care to say if the tank is you know just above half it's probably time for some self care let's we we are not going to wait for it to go to be on running on fumes to really be in crisis mode to say no i need some self care now we need to be having stronger boundaries about really managing and that's a part of being resilient leaders as as mothers and working mothers and you know active leaders in our communities and in our businesses and business owners and CEOs and all of that combined to build that resilience um, really needs an attentiveness and a diligence around that self-care. And I think you're providing that for companies, right? Your your offerings are supporting companies for their employees and their leaders to build these practices actively so that they can be leaders at work and better holistically nourished yo no aru people, right? Individuals in their space
1: yeah you know the the whole world is starting to get this it's prevention is you know is ideal the battle. if you if you if you've already gotten to a point where you have to take care that's fine if someone's already injured or sick that's okay we'll deal with it but prevention will save prevention will save you so much time heartache money all these other things right so so this is this is what we we offer so we talk about everything from Kind of a holistic approach to yes we're going to give you we can give you yoga we can give you poses that help you to get physically better posture postural ideas to give you reminders on how to keep better posture to make that a default we'll talk about breathing we'll talk about meditation mindfulness we'll give you practices we'll talk about eating ayurvedic approach to eating um you know how mindfully eating can change your day completely instead of eating in front of the desk while you're thinking about work and you're looking at your emails and suddenly whatever you had is gone and guess what if you haven't to some degree Faced mukiao. I don't know if the right—that's the right word in English—but faced what you're eating, <laughs> sort
0: of <laughs> you know, like actually tasted it,
1: tasted it, and looked actually at it and said, "Hey, tasted it. you know, we used to we used to ring the bell, right? And there used to be kind of the, the saliva started to build as cooked food was getting slowly cooked. You
0: smell, right? The You'd scent. start to smell it.
1: Your body would get You'd ready to digest up. it. Your salivary amylase and other enzymes in your, your mouth would start to digest it. It was an
0: experience, it. right? It Not wasn't just a that. transaction. It was an experience.
1: Not only that, not only was experienced; it was actually part of the digestive process because the Mm. the enzymes in your mouth, salivary amylase and other enzymes would start to digest the food. But if you hadn't had a chance to build that up because you bought a plastic food at the combini, right, Mm. and as soon as it's open, you haven't smelt it, you just dump it in your mouth and it's gone because you have to rush to the next thing, you're no longer digesting even properly. If you're not digesting properly, guess what? You're not absorbing. You're not absorbing the nutrients you need to live or to be really, to be strong and healthy. And you're going to cause other problems digestively, which will only impact, you know, pain, not make you light and soft. It'll make you heavy and kind of constricted. That's the last thing you want.
0: Well, as someone with a variety of immune system issues, uh, certainly it's something that's been on the brain for myself and, and my sister is working on, you know, that in southern France with a with a retreat space that's actually right. catering to people with dietary constraints around celiac right. and yeah. paleo diet and a whole bunch of range of immune system and and gut issues. Um, yeah, yeah. So a shout out to my sister Jan in southern France. But I think absolutely those those holistic thinking about why we need movement, why we need yo-yo and, and pause in our day, and why we need to take time for being present and actually experiencing our food and digesting properly to support our immune system. And like you say, the, the building up the habits of, of strength and resilience, both mind and heart and body, that is uh, a really exciting offer. And I think something that is so interesting for Japan, because it, I feel like it's a part of old school Japanese mentality of how here in Inaka, in northern Nagano, that's how I certainly was socialized from the beautiful 60 to nine-year-olds that I have been having the pleasure to know, right, over mm-hmm. 25 years. That's in some ways the rhythm of how they connect with their land and they they till their, their you know, their, prop, their plot and they, they they grow their own rice and they trade their rice and their figs in their, tr- in their yard with the neighbors who have you know plums and, and peaches. And there's just this whole interdependence and slower rhythm to that dynamic, right? That our fast paced uh, salary man, salary woman, Tokyo, big city, overpopulation, over you know, ev- overstimulation, everything world isn't, re- isn't remembering about what used to be a pretty important part of what I seem to be as a beautiful part of Japanese Culture and a part of that diversity of Japan that isn't really being put on a pedestal anymore because it doesn't make a ton of money like Tokai, big Tokyo and you know Kansai makes so much more money for the economy and that's where the focus is turned. But we're getting to the point of being out of balance in the Japanese economy with you know just exacerbated concentration of people in like two cities and then shrinking regions that are these gorgeous regions of Japan we need to support and bring back and this interesting part of having you as a foreign foreigner, but immigrant in Japan, an Indo-Canadian, you know, second generation in Canada, now mm-hmm. being in some ways a voice of these <laughs> ancient traditions and philosophies of the slower life and the, the, the good life, the wellness life, that we have to reintroduce to big Tokyo, right? And, and I'm certainly, I'm thinking, I'm trying to raise awareness about the di- beautiful diversity in Japan that's here, like in Japan, not just what's outside Japan, but the diversity here in Japan and how mm-hmm. how can we carve out permission for that huge diversity of Japanese people and people living in Japan that also has been kind of erased over the last 75 years in particular. So it's a unique moment in Japanese you know, history and I think for Reiwa Japan that we can, I think, hopefully bring these different Geku like a reverse import yes. sort of a presentation yeah. of this traditionalness of what used to be Seen and 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 needs to, needs to be amplified and, and given voice. I would love you to give me one final inspirational takeaway or message uh, that we can give our listeners before I sign off today.
1: Ah, always no a tough pressure. one. There's so many good stuff. There's so many good stuff. To, so many great expressions, you know, from the world of yoga and mindfulness. Mm. But look, I think ultimately, you know, we've been given a limited number of breaths. We've been given a limited amount of time in this world, and um, is that deep? Uh, but it's true. That's a great thing. You know, just because it's something's deep doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's, it can't be real. So oh, true. It's- how, how do you want to spend this, the rest of your time, whatever that time is, how do you want to spend it? Really be honest about it. Don't, you know, the, the, the best way to serve anyone else in this world is to start by serving yourself. You make yourself happy. You let yourself, um, Start to live the life that you want to lead, yeah. and guess what? That's going to reverberate through everyone else around you. They're going to feel happier. They don't need you to be miserable. That that's not how this works. It's yes. not all it's not a you know a a, a zero sum game. I think if that's the yeah. right term, if yeah. I, you know, it's not a zero sum game. You don't I have know. to make less money because you're taking time to enjoy your food. In fact, it's the opposite.
0: Mm-hmm. The more
1: you, the better your practice. You don't need to make a long practice, but. Man, you practice for 15 minutes meditation, your next 45 minutes of work, it's what you did in five hours, PVC, because you're so Mm. focused. You're pinpointed in. Nothing throws you off your game. You can actually make more money. You can actually be way more productive. That's the evidence is all there. It's not about productive. Find the, again, find what you want to do with your life. Spend these breaths the way you want to and and spread the word. You know, make make that something that everyone around you can also strive for.
0: That is gorgeous. And I love this takeaway. And I'm going to also just go away and think about that. How many more breaths do do I have and how do I want to spend them is a tremendously deep and pragmatically concrete realism that focuses the mind on what matters. Um, So yeah, let's spend that on being in our highest purpose as individuals, as diverse, creative, unique individuals. So Manish, wow, thank you so much for this Thought Partnering Out Loud. I had no idea what we were covering, really. You know, so no, you sort of vaguely know, but there's just so many gems that came out of this exchange. Cool. And um, from a diversity rocks innovation perspective, yeah, just so much beautiful journeying and storing and learning in this pathway across the world and around the world that you've been doing. Um, And I personally am so grateful for the last three, four years that we've known each other. Um, And I look forward to our next collaborations, too, coming forward. So thank you one last time. And uh, I look forward to what we're going to accomplish next. And I look forward to watching you beam the happiness out from your place right now in Miyako. Oh, my God, gorgeous. Miyakojima. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shining the, the northern Nagano uh, perspectives here, <laughs> which is another space of wellness, uh, if you like cold and green like I do, um, but down, down warm and Miyako-Jima looks lovely too, very inviting. So living the good life, keep doing it. I think you're really shining a beacon. So
1: thank you very much.
0: Thank it's been you a pleasure. So thank you. So I would love to then give a shout out to our listeners and thank you for joining the last 19 weeks that we have been putting out uh, or a little bit more than 19 weeks of this live stream. And um, we're going to take a, a little bit of a hiatus uh, in particular to build out some, yo-yo, some, some flexibility and some time for more self-care. Uh, for the ENJOY team uh, and also certainly for myself to have a little bit more time with my family. And that's a, that's a big priority for me as a feminist mom. Um, so just going to take a hiatus for some rejuvenation so we can pay it forward. And I would encourage you to stay tuned for social media channels, uh, which we'll announce the next season when we're ready to think about launching that. Uh, just a reminder that enjoy, you know, enjoy Japan, we put out workshops and executive education for leaders in Japanese and English Uh, We've had so many interesting comments from participants in our workshops uh, for the intersectional thinking uh, workshop that we offer about the fact that when they walked away from the workshop, they they observed back that they had such an expanded understanding of not only the concept of gender, but also just the meaning of diversity in Japan for for Japan. Um, So that was really inspiring for me to hear that. And they felt like they had more confidence uh, to be more of a leader uh, in their workplace and to be a better ally and, and they said, you know, wow, I had always sort of realized where my marginalizations were, where I would, might be at risk of being marginalized, and where I might be, you know, punished for being this, that, or the other. But I had never thought about all my privileges that I actually have. And if I don't acknowledge my privileges, I can't show up and be a good ally to others in my workplace. So I was like floored by the learnings that came out from these participants in the workshops we've been doing. So I'm going to encourage people to Get in touch with us if you're interested in the intersectional thinking uh, workshop. It's about mapping our diversities from personal system individual to the systems of the the company and the ecosystem. Um, And it works, it's powerful. And uh, and we're also working on a bunch of other projects, but I'll leave it at that. Um, And thank you all for joining season one of Diversity Rocks Innovation.
2: Imagine a world without prejudice, bullying, or fear. Imagine a world where our individuality is respected by all our peers. Inclusion and equity are more than words or just a ploy. They are workplaces rich with diversity, creating worlds we all enjoy. Imagine a better world where we all can live free and play. Where the spirit of teamwork and solidarity give hope and light the way. Good business isn't just profits or pushing for sales. Good business must strive to be just as it scales. Good business is planting a seed in a visionary trail to foster an environment where diverse abilities prevail. Let's build that new world in solidarity. Diversity rocks innovation. Let's build solutions for equality to bring hope and transformation. Let's honor co-creation, honor individuality with a vision for togetherness beyond screens and virtual reality. All it takes is a little to change the world a lot. Money comes and goes, but legacy isn't for God.